WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me. Good morning. It is Wednesday, November 8th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sun clouds today, high 52, not as nice as yesterday. Tonight, overnight, mostly cloudy, low 45, and then we warm up again Thursday. More clouds than sun on Thursday, high 67. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 48 partly cloudy in Babylon out on Long Island, 46 and clear in Lakewood down in New Jersey, and it is 46, some scattered clouds here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up. Six o'clock hour, Sid and friends in the morning. All right, yesterday, election day, all kinds of races across the tri-state, across the nation, some interesting ones as well. We'll start here in the city. So, well, there was a couple surprises. Um, uh, well, we'll start in Whitestone, Queens, where incumbent city council member Vicki Palladino defeated her challenger, Democrat Tony Avella. So she gets another two years on the city council. There was the hotly contested seat in the 47th council district, that new district, Democrat Justin Brannon, giving a victory speech last night after he beat Ari Kagan, the we Republican. Because we'd rather lose being who we are than win being someone we're not. Tomorrow morning, I don't care if you voted for me or not. It's back to work and it's back to serving. This is a redistrict seat which encompasses uh, Bay Ridge, Coney Island, Brandon, facing a unique race against Republican City Council member Ari Kagan, who uh, represented the old boundaries of the district. Kagan conceded about, it was about an hour after the polls closed last night. This race did not end the way we wanted. We worked very hard. We brought important issues that are relevant to all New Yorkers. So another race, this was maybe one of the bigger surprises of the night here in New York City anyway, was in the southeast Bronx where Democratic incumbent Marjorie Velasquez faced this challenge from Republican Christy Marmorado. As of this morning, it sure looks like Republican Christy Marmorado has won this race. She has, she's up by enough, uh, enough votes at this point. Uh, I guess they'll add in the absentee ballots, that kind of thing. So far, Velasquez has not, uh, said she's the loser in this race, but, um, here was Marmorado last night after, uh, during her election night party up in the Bronx. It's an honor because my community came out and spoke. They wanted a change and they got a change. Yeah, she's interesting. I had a chance to talk to her a long time. This was a couple of weeks back and chatting with her about why she got into politics. And it was really one big event that got her to get in. First of all, she grew up in the neighborhood. She said she didn't like what was happening, lots of crime, uh, homelessness. But it was a prison release program in her neighborhood that got her crazy. As soon as they started this prison release program, someone broke into her car outside of her house and stole items out of her daughter's backpack. And that's when she said, you know what, I've had enough. I'm going to run for city council. And here she is. Looks like she 
will be the first Republican city council person from the this part of the Bronx. It could be in a long time, maybe even ever. Hard work, hard work and consistency, and, and it eventually pays off. And it's like I said, it's the community. They needed the change. They wanted the change, and they spoke. They came out and voted. Yes, yeah, so, so far, Velasquez has not conceded that race. Incumbent Republican city council member Ina Vernikoff, she had an easy time last night facing off against Democrat Amber Adler. They could expect to have to continue having a voice in the city council. Continue fighting for them. I will continue fighting for public safety against anti-Semitism and standing up to the radical left. So she's talked about what some of the challenges are for her district going forward. We have a lot of work to do. Uh, we have about 180,000 people to fight for, and I will continue doing that. I have a great team um, that works very hard. We've covered over 6,000 cases so far. We're number one in New York City um, in constituent services. We will continue doing that, and um, we're just very excited. Up in Harlem, criminal justice reform activist Yusuf Salam, who was one of the five men convicted and later exonerated in the Central Park jogger rape case. He ran in the primary and won, and then he ran unopposed last night. So obviously he won his seat, Harlem District 9. Here he was at his election night party. Today we stand here together, not as separate individuals, but as a united force that has collectively triumphed over adversity, as a community that has changed, that has chosen hope over fear. All right, so some of those of the biggest races in the city last night. Let's go up to Yonkers, where history was made in Yonkers last night as Democrat Mike Spano winning an unprecedented fourth term as mayor. Results show him getting 60% of the vote. They rejected the small-mindedness, and they said enough is enough. We saw it. We went down that path before. We're not going down that path again. We're a different city. We're a city that's going through a renaissance. We're a city that we can all be proud of to call home. All right, so that was up in Yonkers, out to Long Island. It was the one place where Republicans did really well across the board, uh, winning every essentially every county seat last night. One of the key contests was Suffolk County Executive Republican Ed Romaine defeating the Democrat there, Dave Colon, pretty soundly last night. Tremendous mandate, getting 57, 58 percent of the vote, crushing it. And I thank Suffolk, because with those numbers... I'm capable of going to my colleagues in the legislature and putting together a common sense agenda to move this county forward. Yeah, so that might have been the best part for Republicans across the board in the tri-state last night was out on Long Island, where every county position now is um, as, uh, Republicans in charge. The two were running to replace uh, Steve Ballone, who reached his term limit after 12 years. WABC News Time 509. Let's continue with the election results out to the Garden State in New Jersey. New Jersey Democrats fending off a Republican challenge in a pivotal state Senate race. They flipped three assembly contests test from GOP control. This was a big night for the Democrats. Republicans were hoping that they'd be able to flip some seats. That was not the case. Maybe Curtis Slewa should stay out of New Jersey. Uh, maybe the Republicans would have had a better night if he hadn't been there. You know, he predicted a big night for the Republicans. He couldn't have been more hopelessly wrong. Democrats hold a 25 to 15 seat advantage in the Senate, 46-34 edge in the Assembly. One of the more interesting races 
Do you remember this uh, Republican state senator, Edward Dewar? He was he ran two years ago, um, took down the state Senate president and maybe the biggest upset in New Jersey in a really long time. He was a truck driver. He self-funded his campaign. The Republicans didn't even give him money because they didn't think he had a chance. He beat Steve Sweeney. Uh, here he was up for reelection. He lost last night. Democrats poured all kinds of money in to get that seat back um, in Connecticut. The Bridgeport mayor's race. Boy, is there a place that's more corrupt than Bridgeport, Connecticut? Maybe my county of Hudson County, New Jersey might be in there as well. But a judge last week had tossed out the results of the Democratic mayoral primary there and ordered a new one citing mishandled absentee ballots. There was video of people stuffing ballots who worked at City Hall into those uh, voting uh, places across uh, the city. So it set up sort of this bizarre mayoral contest again yesterday. Both people are running are Democrats. The incumbent, Mayor Joe Gannam, who's been in trouble before. His challenger, John Gomes. It looks like John Gomes won last night, but you never know in a place like Bridgeport. We said this was a movement, and it will be a movement. Yeah. Because we... Our history. Let's have some patience. While we have two representatives at City Hall to give us the final number. The final lap is not over. Yeah, this is one of the more confusing races across the country. So they may have to face each other a third time in another primary to figure this all out. But, um... Lots of weird stuff going, ballot stuffing going on in Bridgeport. At least it looks that way. Across the country, Kentucky Democratic Governor Andy Bashir will be reelected after fending off a challenge from the Republican Attorney General Daniel Cameron. Uh, here he was last night at his election night party. Now, folks, this wasn't my win. This was our victory. It was a victory that sends a loud, clear message. A message that candidates should run for something and not against someone. In Ohio last night, they passed a ballot measure enshrining abortion rights into their constitution, establish abortion protections in the state's constitution, guaranteeing the right to an abortion up to fetal viability. In Mississippi, you had uh, the Democrat Brandon Presley. He was the second cousin of Elvis Presley was running, but he lost. Uh, The Republican won there. Governor Tate Reeves winning re-election, fending off what was a pretty hard-fought challenge from Brandon Presley. Uh, Brandon Presley campaigned on expanding Medicaid in what is the nation's poorest state. He was actually born just days before Elvis Presley's death back in 1997, so they uh, did not know each other. In Virginia... It was all 140 seats in the General Assembly up for grabs and a real test of how strong Governor Glenn Youngkin was as a Republican there. He did all kinds of campaigning to try to turn the legislature there red. Been all over. Uh, Gosh, we've covered 100 stops and uh, it's been a really intensive period and I'm excited. Uh, It's in the hands of the voters, and uh, I hope that they extend our license to lead. Uh, They did not. Democrats in Virginia taking control of both the House and the Senate, which no doubt will be seen as a blow to Governor Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. And then we were talking to voters throughout the day yesterday. You know, not like a this is what uh, was an off-year election. No sexy candidates at the top of the ballot. But people did get out there, not in numbers, big numbers. But the people who were out there say, hey, local elections in some ways 
issues are more important than the national ones. I just, if my buddy tells me to vote, I just vote. I don't really agree with any of the politics right now. Not left, not right. I'm not voting. I don't vote. Do you need somebody to fix the whole system? Yeah, so it was real committed voters there. Uh, let's see, let's hear these guys are more committed. Just hoping for lower taxes. There we go. I don't even know the city council's there. I don't know half of them. There's a young kid in my office who yeah. doesn't vote, and I'm like, Dude, why don't you vote? Oh, it doesn't matter. You know, I was that way. I think we all were at some point. Yeah, but it's the local guys who, you know, do the taxes and fix the roads, so it's always kind of an important thing. But uh, the number's incredibly low again uh, last night. Uh, let's see, one more race uh, out of... Um, Uvalde, Texas. Uh, lots of people watching this race closely. Kimberly Mata Rubio, her daughter Lexi, was among the 21 killed on that rampage there two years ago. So she decided to run for mayor to fix what was wrong there. Imagine what it would feel like to bury your child. Because only when you imagine will you as Texas lawmakers take necessary action. Had this bill been the law in the state of Texas one year ago, the gunman would not have been able to purchase the semi-automatic weapon he used to murder our daughter. Yeah, so you can imagine gun possession, gun rights was a big part of her platform. She did not win last night. And here we are. It's the end of election 2023. 77 WABC's Countdown to Election Day 2024. Oh, yeah. Bring it on, baby. 2024, our Super Bowl here, 77 WABC. We'll get into that as the morning wears on. But first, 515, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. Happy Hump Day. Good morning, Justin Ellick. Happy Hump Day. Good morning to you. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Noam Aladin. We'll start on the ice here. Retreated to a triple header last night with all three squads back in action following a day off at the Garden. The Rangers took care of the Detroit Red Wings by a score of 5-3 to three to extend their now eight-game point streak. But this game was not nearly as close as the score indicates. The Rangers swarmed the Red Wings through the first two periods and led 5 to nothing heading into the third before Detroit hung a three-spot in the final frame there. Scoring twice in 43 seconds on consecutive power plays certainly helps the cause, thanks to the likes of Chris Kreider and Vincent Trocek in the second. Here's what that action sounded like, courtesy of TNT. The middle stages of the second period. Power play that is fourth in the National Hockey League. 31.6%. Shot by Gustafson, and they score! Chris Kreider got a piece on the lay the void for Adam Fox on this top power play unit for the Rangers. Advantage out of the front, and they score! Trocek second, the Rangers second on the power play, and it's now 3-0 New York. With the win, New York improved to 7-1-2 in its last 10 games against the Red Wings, and they are 5-0-3 in their last eight home games against Detroit. In Elmont, the Isles found themselves on the uh, other side of things, losing 4-2 to the visiting Minnesota Wild last night. Noah Dobson scored for the second straight game, while Oliver Wallstrom also scored for the Islanders, who have given up five third-period goals in their last two contests and have been outscored 9-2 after the second period of their last four games. They'll see if they can improve on that mark come tomorrow night in Boston against the Bruins. Finally, in Colorado last night, the Devils lost 6-3 to to the Avalanche. This game was tied at 3 in the third before Colorado's Ryan Johansson broke the tie and opened the floodgates for the Avalanche. Timo Meyer, Dougie Hamilton, and uh, Tyler Toffoli had the goals for New Jersey. 
who were without uh, centers Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer. Once again, Hughes missed a second game since suffering a right shoulder injury Friday night at St. Louis. Team officials have described the status of the star, who has uh, 20 points in 10 games this season, as week-to-week. Heischer has missed the last five games with an upper body injury. Hopefully both men will get significantly closer to uh, 100% between now and Friday night when the Devs will be hosting the Washington Capitals. And now on the hardwood, after an off day yesterday for the entire NBA, the Knicks and Nets are both back on the court tonight at the Barclays Center. The Nets get set to welcome in the LA Clippers at 7.30 p.m., while the Knicks will be tipping things off at the same time with the San Antonio Spurs. No, that's sports, and I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. WABC News Time 521, rather. Let's go down to D.C., the White House, brushing off new polling that shows President Biden trailing Donald Trump in five key battleground states. Back in October of 22, there were multiple stories about how there was going to be a red wave, Democrats were going to be wiped out, and we're not talking about that. Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre there telling reporters that these polls should be taken with a grain of salt. We have to really take these polls with a grain of salt. Oh, I just said that. The poll from the New York Times, Siena College, shows Trump beating Biden in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. The political spotlight will be on South Florida tonight. Third debate for the Republicans who want to be president and want to be at the White House. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis uh, stumping in Iowa yesterday ahead of tonight's presidential debate. We have to bring this country a new birth of freedom, and we need to win in order to do that. Iowa shows that it can be done for Florida shows it can be done. If you look, Republicans haven't done very well recently in recent elections. But recent polling in Iowa shows DeSantis and Nikki Haley tied for second at 16 percent. Trump at 43 percent. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott's campaign says his debate strategy tonight will be to attack DeSantis and Haley. The Iowans I meet, like like Marco Island, Bonita Springs, all these places, they will say, oh, we love what you're doing in Florida and we love what our governor's doing in Iowa. Nikki Haley's campaign just releasing a video criticizing DeSantis's energy policy. What you don't need is a president who is against energy independence. Ron DeSantis is against fracking. He's against drilling. No, it's not true. Florida governor, or I should say former governor, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who was recently booed by a Florida audience for opposing Trump. He'll be on the stage tonight. Here's what it sounded like uh, was over the weekend. Your anger against the truth is reprehensible. Former President Trump again ditching the debate stage. Instead, he'll hold a rally in Florida. Meanwhile, high-ranking Democrats are in town attacking what they call MAGA Republicans and extreme Floridians. That'll be part of the the debate uh, craziness outside of the debate, I should say, later tonight. Down in Washington, the Biden administration stressing that Israel has the right to defend itself from Hamas as the administration faces growing pressure to push for a ceasefire. 1,400 people slaughtered in their homes at a music festival. And when Hamas decided to conduct operations, it was with the intent of killing people. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby there says President Biden has discussed brief humanitarian pauses with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to allow aid to get into Gaza. He certainly discussed the need to continue to try to accelerate and increase the amount of humanitarian assistance that's going in to allow for aid to get in, people to get out and for uh, hostages to be released. Kirby says the humanitarian pauses would be very specific. They're limited in time, duration, 
Uh, and they're usually for a specific purpose or purposes, getting but stuff in, getting people out. The White House not calling for any kind of permanent ceasefire at this time. Netanyahu also said he would not consider a ceasefire until all the hostages held by Hamas are released. Yesterday, it was House Republicans in Congress standing firmly with Israel in its war with Hamas. This moment demands decisive action. And we insist that we cannot waste any more time getting Israel the aid that it desperately needs. House Speaker Mike Johnson introducing Israeli families who have loved ones being held hostage by Hamas in Gaza. They shared some really harrowing stories, shared whatever updates they were able to get, which is, as you might guess, not a whole lot. I don't know anything. Maybe we don't have a list of the hostages. We don't know their condition. I don't have anything. So I need your help. It's hard to watch these hostage families as they go around the world trying to get anybody politically to pressure Hamas to release their loved ones. My younger brother alone wrote me a message that the hate terrorists go inside his house. He sent me a heart emoji. And that's the last time we spoke. Yeah, Florida Congressman Corey Mills says the Biden administration's not doing enough to get the captured Americans, there's 10 of them at least, out of Gaza. I heard horror stories from the Americans who were trying to get home with no support from the State Department. And in many cases, when they would request support, they would receive an electronic form and no further follow-up. Yeah, and that war continues to play out in the streets of New York City. Hundreds of people gathering City Hall, Lower Manhattan, in support of Palestine in Gaza yesterday. What is this, you know, solidarity with Israel? Really, it's them co-signing off of the murder um, of Palestinian children. And we're making it clear that they don't speak for us. They don't speak for New Yorkers. The group mad claiming the U.S. is sending weapons and money overseas to support Israel's efforts. And they say more should be done for the people in Gaza. By Genocide Joe, who is carrying out this genocide. It's not just Israel that's carrying out this genocide against the Palestinians. It's the U.S. by sending the weapons, by sending the money. And the war also playing out in an Upper East Side coffee shop. Being mobbed with patrons now who are asking if they can help to fill in on shifts. It happened after Aaron Dahan, who owns uh, Cafe Aron, uh, watched as his entire staff walked out over a dispute over the Israel-Hamas war. Uh, some of them were wearing Palestinian flags, and the owner didn't like that. So the workers didn't like that he didn't like that, so they walked out. So now people in the neighborhood say they'll fill in until he gets more permanent staff. We've put up kidnapping signs on all the windows, and I think that's what upset our team. A lot of people were not willing to be a part of that. Yeah. So uh, anyway, in the meantime, people in the neighborhood who love that coffee shop have been filling in, helping serve coffee. Taking a look at Wall Street, the opening bell rings on Wall Street after stocks closed higher yesterday. S&P 500, Nasdaq, reaching their longest positive streaks in nearly two years. At the closing bell, the down gained 57 points. S&P 500 added 13. The Nasdaq rose 121 points. Talk Radio 77. W-A-B-C. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yeah, that's me. Good morning. It is Wednesday, November 8th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sun clouds today, high 52. Tonight, overnight, mostly cloudy, low 45. And then Thursday, it's 
it's going to warm up more clouds than sun, but the high is going to be 67. If you're walking out the door with us right now, it is 48 and cloudy in Babylon, out on Long Island, 46 and clear in Lakewood down in New Jersey, and it is 46 and clear outside our Midtown studios. We'll start this half hour. Out in West Orange, New Jersey, a bagel shop owner found guilty of covering up its windows. It turns out, apparently, it's illegal for stores in West Orange to keep windows closed so the public can't see what's going on inside. But the store has covered its windows since the pandemic because they moved their eatery outside. So the owner now has been fined. His name is Jared Seltzer. It's called Bagels by Jared. Here he was yesterday. I was expecting this outcome from the start, yeah. We go right to the appeals process. So I don't think we have a fair trial here. So West Orange zoning officials have been on Seltzer for several months over his popular takeout delivery business. From the outside, you cannot see inside. And the city cites part of its zoning code that you should be able to see inside. Seltzer's coverings, though, here's the complicated part. They say you can't put stuff on the outside so you can't see inside. But what Seltzer has done is put stuff inside so you can't see inside you follow me so this is where his lawyer thinks he might get off i don't think the ordinance is super clear but it's clear enough to understand that it deals with covering the windows from the exterior not the interior it just doesn't apply in this situation i mean this is crazy the zoning uh wanted to fine him fifteen hundred dollars a day for this seltzer says the shades help cut down on the electric bill also reminds customers that it's not an eat-in restaurant uh the judge uh did not like the fact that they were fining him so much money so they whittled the fines down to fifty dollars a day but still that means he owns like forty two hundred dollars including fees uh so this case is being appealed they're misusing an ordinance purposely to come after me because i stood up to them and that's why we're here and everyone knows it i've invested a lot of money into west orange both in my business and my home and in my community and i'm not gonna let them push me out with stupid things along these lines yeah you would think there'd be something better to go after in west orange but apparently not seltzer says other mayors other towns have reached out to him say hey Move your bagel place here. We like your bagels. He says he's declined because he likes living in West Orange. Seltzer now has 20 days to appeal those fines. We work. Filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, marking what was a stunning fall for the office sharing company, once seen as Wall Street's darling. It promised to upend the way people went to work around the world. And they had this kind of cool vibe. Uh, the charity I worked for was in a WeWork building, and it always did feel kind of cool there. WeWork, um, though, the pandemic hit, and that was uh, rough for them because nobody was going into the office. And uh, it, it kind of started before them. So now um, they are going to drastically reduce their debt by letting go of some of these commercial office leases. And, uh, of course, that's bad news for New York. Here's Aaron Elstein, who covers real estate for Cranes New York, and he says, so many of these WeWork offices are here in the city. They borrowed too much money. They rented too much space. They don't have enough people coming in the door. And there's just really no way around that. The one thing that WeWork got really right was 
how they made people think this was something other than office. The company plans to terminate nearly 70 leases here in the city. WeWork currently has 47 locations in New York City. 35 of them will shut down. 34 of those locations in Manhattan, ones in Brooklyn. Uh, Kathy Wild, who runs the partnership for New York City, she says uh, this is not all bad news because these buildings can be repurposed for other uses. We've got a very strong, growing economy. And I think that is more than going to offset the losses and the challenges. The WeWork loss is big, but landlords will become more flexible. But to tell you just how big it was, at one point, just uh, two years ago, WeWork was the largest private tenant in Manhattan. That's how big it is for New York City. WABC Newstime 539, a well-liked crossing guard in critical condition after she was hit by a yellow cab on the Upper East Side. It happened Monday, and we've been following and monitoring how she's doing, but apparently not so great. It is the second uh, crossing guard to be hit in the city in the last three weeks by a vehicle. This woman on the Upper East Side, 61-year-old guard um, who was well-loved. She was at the corner of 96th Street and Lexington Avenue when she was hit by a cab. Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm not going to lie, I'm shocked. So nice to everybody. Just so friendly. Yeah, 96 and Lex is considered one of the busiest intersections in the city. That's why she's there, to get kids across the street. This yellow cab turned from 96th Street onto the avenue and then knocked her over. I mean, she was the crossing guard. She was supposed to be there. The cab wasn't supposed to hit her. Her name hasn't been released, but people in the neighborhood, they know her well. There was another crossing guard that got hit not that long ago, but she didn't make it. They're out here. They're standing out here. And if you got traffic coming that way, this way, that way, you're, you're not protected. Yeah. In the case last month, she's referring to in Queens, the crossing guard died from the impact of a collision. Now people want to know the woman in this latest case in Manhattan are hoping that she doesn't meet the same fate. And they're calling for more to be done to protect crossing guards who are getting kids across the street as they go to school. Uh, up to the Bronx, where a New York City youth pastor who worked with kids for decades is now accused of groping two teenagers and believe police believe there may be additional victims out there. Leonard Hurd arrested for the alleged conduct against a pair of 17 year old victims. He was working as a youth pastor and a band teacher. Hurd has spent 25 years working with children, mainly in the Hydebridge and Morsania sections of the Bronx and police fear there could be a lot of victims out there and they want those people to come forward to police. They say they will be protected. The story's kept confidential. Touching children inappropriately. Um, so uh, forcible touching, sex abuse and harassment right now. Very serious charges. Yes, they are very serious. And there were so many places he could have had contact with kids. He worked as the band teacher at a parochial and public school, youth pastor at two local churches where he would occasionally take parishioners on trips to Washington, D.C. He had been working in all these different capacities as a youth pastor, um, still in the community. Um, and it just it didn't sit right with me that maybe somebody hasn't spoken up yet. And I want to give them that platform for it.
Police have been out in the community speaking with Heard's former students, employers, co-workers, and camp counselors just trying to get any kind of information. Everyone's story needs to be heard. Everyone deserves to have a platform to share if something had happened to them, and we are here to listen. Um, we have great uh, advocacy groups such as Safe Horizon. 542, let's go out to Long Island. A Rocky Point man accused of renting out a home he did not own. This is a scam that has gotten so big over the last couple years. It is maybe one of the more awful things you can do to a human is what they do is these scammers go online. They look for houses that are for rent and then they will post their own listing for that. They'll get calls or emails and they'll tell the people, hey, uh, you can't see the inside, but here are pictures of the inside, and they'll take the pictures from the website that is legit and say, hey, if you give me a deposit, and usually lower than what the rental's for, now I'll make sure you get the keys. And then, of course, what happens is uh, these people agree to do that, not see the place ahead of time. They hand over money to the scammer, and then when they show up they with a moving truck, they realize that the apartment is not theirs. I mean, it is so, what an awful thing to do to somebody. I mean, of all the scams, this is a pretty bad one. So thankfully, they caught up with somebody doing this. 22, I should say allegedly, 22-year-old Justin Campos. I feel like they should throw this guy behind bars for a long time. Here's the cops out in Suffolk County in this one in Rocky Point. She then arranged to have a family member contact the renter or suspect and ask if the property was still available. He said yes, that he was still collecting deposits for it. He then agreed to meet this family member at the property. The family member then stalled until police could arrive. Yeah, so they sniffed out that something was wrong there, and that's why uh, Justin Campos is going to face the music now. Now the question is, how many more times has he done this before? Likely, probably lots. Uh, Realtors out in Suffolk County, this is true no matter where you go across the tri-state, is rentals are tough to get. They're awfully expensive, and so there's so many scammers trying to pull this off. So the key is, if you see something online and you want to rent it, make sure you can see it, of course, ahead of time, and that the realtor who showing to you is legit a lot of times these scammers will try to get you to exchange either money or anything without even seeing inside the property so number one always see it in person ask for a tour yeah and police think this santos uh rather this campos dude justin campos has done this before so they're asking anyone who may have been a victim of campos to contact them right away so they can build a case against this creep. Now, you know what's going to happen. He's going to get a slap on the hand and it'll be back out there again. But can you imagine you pack up your U-Haul and you know this has happened tons of times. We've done this story over the years and they show up at the house and the apartment is not theirs. The house is not theirs. What do you do then? You've given up the other place. So anyway, we'll have to follow and see what happens to Justin Campos, what the police and prosecutors do out in Suffolk County. All right, five 45. Let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk where we find Justin Ellick. Thank you, Noam Ullett. And starting on the ice here, we were treated to a triple header last night. All three squads back in action following a day off. At the Garden, the Rangers took care of the Detroit Red Wings by a score of 5-3 to three to extend their now eight-game point streak. But this game was not nearly as close as the score indicates. The Rangers swarmed the Red Wings through the first two periods and led 5 to nothing heading into the third before Detroit hung a three-spot in the final frame scoring twice in 43 seconds on consecutive power plays. That certainly helps the cause, thanks to the likes of Chris Kreider and Vincent Trocek in the second. Here's what that action sounded like, courtesy of TNT. Middle stages of the second period. Power play that is fourth in the National Hockey League. 31.6%. Shot by Gustafson, and they score! 
With the win, New York improved to 7-1-2 and in its last 10 games against the Red Wings, and they are 5-0-3 in their last eight home games against Detroit and Elmont. The Isles found themselves on the other side of things, losing 4-2 to the visiting Minnesota Wild last night. Uh, Noah Dobson scored for the second straight game, while Oliver Wallstrom also scored uh, for the Islanders, who have given up five third-period goals in their last two contests and have been outscored 9-2 after the second period of the last four games. They'll see if they can improve on those marks come tomorrow night in Boston against the Bruins. Finally, in Colorado last night, the Devils lost 6-3 to the Avalanche. This game was tied at 3 in the third period before Colorado's Ryan Johansson broke the tie and opened the floodgates for the Avalanche. Timo Meyer, Dougie Hamilton, and Tyler Toffoli had the goals for New Jersey, who was without centers Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer once again. Hughes missed a second game since suffering a right shoulder injury Friday night at St. Louis. Team officials have described the status of Hughes as week-to-week. He sure has missed the last five games with an upper body injury. Hopefully both of those guys will get significantly closer to 100% between now and Friday night when the Devs will be hosting the Washington Capitals. And now over to the hardwood after an off day yesterday for the entire NBA. The Knicks and Nets are both back on the court tonight at the Barclays Center. The Nets get set to welcome in the L.A. Clippers at 7.30 p.m. while the Knicks at the same time will be tipping things off with the San Antonio Spurs. That's sports. No, and I'm Justin Ellick on 77. WABC. Let's catch you up on the big stories of the morning. The biggest one being election night 2023. Let's start here in the city. 51 city council seats up for grabs. Whitestone Queens incumbent council member Vicky Palladino holding off her Democratic challenger Tony Avella. Easier than thought most people thought it would be. Um, Avella uh, throwing out all kinds of anything that trash at Palladino in those last couple days. But she held on to that seat. So a second term for Vicky Palladino, the Republican out of Whitestone, Queens. A hotly contested seat in the 47th, the new 47th Council District. Democrat Justin Brannon uh, winning last night, beating the Republican Ari Kagan. We ran with our hearts because we'd rather lose being who we are than win being someone we're not. But tomorrow morning, I don't care if you voted for me or not. It's back to work, and it's back to serving. This was a redistricted seat, which encompasses uh, Bay Ridge, Coney Island. Brandon had faced a unique race against the Republican city councilman Ari Kagan, who had represented the old boundaries of the district. Uh, Kagan conceded this race pretty quickly after the polls closed. It was about an hour later. This race did not end the way we wanted. He worked very hard. He brought important issues that are relevant to all New Yorkers. Maybe the biggest surprise of the night will be up in southeast Bronx, where Democratic incumbent Marjorie Velasquez faced this challenge from Republican newcomer Christy Marmorado. Marmorado declaring victory in the race, and it sure looks like she won in this District 13. Here she was last night, her election night party. It's an honor because my community came out and spoke. They wanted a change, and they got a change. Velasquez is 
has yet to concede the race. Um, there's more votes to count. Interesting woman, Marmorado, I spoke with her, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago. The reason she even jumped into the city council race is she's a lifelong Bronx native. But um, there was an incident where there was a prison release program that started in her neighborhood. And just days after that started, someone broke into her car and star- stole her daughter's school uniform. And that was when she said, I've had enough of the crime in my neighborhood. And that's why she jumped into the race. And it sure looks like she's the new city councilwoman, Republican, from that district. Hard work. Hard work and consistency. And and it eventually pays off. And it's like I said, it's the community. They needed the change. They wanted the change. And they spoke. They came out and voted. Incumbent Republican City Council Member Ina Vernikoff, she'll retain her city council seat in the 48th district. They could expect to have to continue having a voice in the city council, continue fighting for them. I will continue fighting for public safety against anti-Semitism and standing up to the radical left. She pretty easily beat uh, beat Democrat candidate Ambler Adler last night. We have a lot of work to do. Uh, We have about 180,000 people to fight for, and I will continue doing that. I have a great team um, that works very hard. We've covered over 6,000 cases so far. We're number one in New York City. Um, in constituent services. We will continue doing that, and um, we're just very excited. Back here in Manhattan, criminal justice reform activist Yusuf Salam was one of the five men convicted and later exonerated in the Central Park jogger rape case. He ran unopposed. He won his primary, which was essentially giving him a seat back in the spring. And last night he won the seat for Harlem's District 9. Here he was at his election night party. Today we stand here together not as separate individuals, but as a united force that has collectively triumphed over adversity. As a community that has changed, that has chosen hope over fear. History made up in Yonkers last night. Democrat Mike Spano winning a fourth term now as mayor. Results show him with about 60% of the vote. They rejected the small-mindedness and they said enough is enough. We saw it. We went down that path before. We're not going down that path again. We're a different city. We're a city that's going through a renaissance. We're a city that we can all be proud of to call home. The brightest spot for Republicans last night, no doubt, out on Long Island, where almost every single county seat, uh, legislature seat now owned by Republicans after last night. One key contest uh, was the Suffolk County executive race. Republican Ed Romaine defeating Democrat Dave Colon. Tremendous mandate, getting 57, 58 percent of the vote, crushing it. And I thank Suffolk because with those numbers... I'm capable of going to my colleagues in the legislature and putting together a common sense agenda to move this county forward. The Democrat Republican there running to replace Steve Ballone, who reached his term limit after 12 years in New Jersey. Big night for the Democrats. They fended off a Republican challenge in some pivotal state Senate races. They actually even flipped three assembly contests from GOP control. Uh, Democrats holding a 25 to 15 seat now advantage in the Senate, a 46 to 34 edge in the assembly. One of the more interesting races in New Jersey was in South Jersey. State Senator Edward Durr, remember him? He was the truck driver who uh, used his own credit cards to run his campaign against 
Senate President Steve Sweeney two years ago and shocked just about everybody in New Jersey winning that race. Well, Democrats poured all kinds of money into that race to defeat him, and they were able to do that last night. Across the country, Kentucky Democratic Governor Andy Bashir he was reelected after fending off a pretty intense challenge from Republican Attorney General Daniel Cameron in Kentucky. Hey, folks, this wasn't my win. This was our victory. It was a victory that sends a loud, clear message. A message that candidates should run for something and not against someone. In Ohio, they passed a ballot measure last night enshrining abortion rights into the Constitution. Ohio Issue 1 establishes abortion protections in the state's Constitution, guaranteeing the right to an abortion up till fetal viability. In Mississippi, uh, Governor Tate Reeves, he held on after a challenge from Democrat Brandon Presley. Presley was a second cousin, or is a second cousin, of Elvis Presley. In Virginia, all 140 seats in the General Assembly, they were up for grabs. Uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin, the Republican there, was doing campaigning all across the state over the last month, hoping to turn uh, the House's red. Been all over. Uh, gosh, we've covered 100 stops, and uh, it's been a really intensive period, and I'm excited. Uh, it's in the hands of the voters, and uh, I hope that they extend our license to lead. It was not a good night for him. Uh, the Democrats took both houses. Uh, so whether that's a reflection of Governor Glenn Youngkin or what some local issues, that we do not know. But after all that campaigning, the Democrats still won in Virginia.